0: Bones and Bobbins podcast is now on Patreon. Would you like access to bonus episodes, digital extras, exclusive merch, and more? Join us in the Curiosity Shop at patreon.com backslash Bones and Bobbins.
1: Your generous support helps make the show happen and will also earn you our very eternal gratitude and entry into our private Patreon only Facebook group. Ooh! Yes, where you can hang out with us. Indeed. It's true. In a dusty old shop on a forgotten old street, you'll find two witches with books three boxes deep. Next to rusty old needles and faded red thread, you'll come in for yarn, but leave with pigments instead. Whether poisons or patterns, were always discreet, where creepy and crafty and morbidity meet. Welcome to the Bones and Bobbins podcast. So hello, Morbid Makers. We are your slightly creepy, mildly disconcerting,
0: somewhat sinister, delightfully discomposed,
1: opaquely odd. Merrily morbid marvelously misanthropic hosts And this
0: is Bones and Bobbins season one Episode Nine Was that one or two eyes of Newt?
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'm Haley from Red Handled Scissors and the Very Serious Crafts Podcast.
0: Hi, I'm Natalie from UberDork Designs, an official Murderino Maker. Yay! Woohoo! All right. So, how's it going? It's going pretty good. It's going pretty good. It's so weird that we're, like, a quickly approaching mid-August already. And I know that I know. we've been living on pandemic time, so what is time, really? But we're, like, a mere couple of weeks before school of some sort resumes. So,
1: it's been pretty crazy just last that... minute. Yes, I and mean, I sort of haven't known when it was since March. Yeah. <laughs> because New York went straight to hell in March. Oh <laughs> yes, you poor thing. Like, it it did not. It had no chill. No, there was no 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 chill whatsoever. No. Well, I do not have school floating around in my periphery, but I do have kittens who are loud and trampoly and meowy. And I specifically, I have two kittens. So one is a tortoise and one is a black cat. And my tiny black kitten, whose name is Phryne, is being the most stereotypical tiny black kitten (laughs) to ever exist. (laughs) So she keeps perching on my grimoire, Chewing literal holes in the edges of it because, you know, (laughs) there there aren't any other books that she could chew on or actual kitten chew toys. No, no. And she keeps knocking over my broomstick, (laughs) like my ceremonial broomstick. It falls at least once a day because she has knocked it over. And right. I just kittens. I I think she wants to grow up to be a familiar.
0: I think she. I, yeah, it sounds like she's well, well on her
1: way. <laughs> well, she just trampled through. <laughs> <laughs> it's like you're talking about me. Yay! <laughs> Ooh, both of them are here. Hi, guys. Oh, these boy. are fun indeed they are fun and cute but oh my goodness they bite
0: yeah yeah i I remember quite well quite well last year at this time i had kitty now kitty is no longer quite so little but yes still Kitty. well they do that yeah they grow you don't ask our permission they just grow on up
1: these have definitely grown quite a lot i've had (laughs) them a month today
0: well, congratulations.
1: Yes. And so they are, uh, I don't remember, three months old today? Uh-huh. Maybe. Well, ish. I don't know when they were born. Anyway. Ish not the point. I, I've, <laughs> I've lost grasp of the everything. There are kittens biting my feet. Makes it's sense. Fine. It's fine yeah uh
0: what else is pretty cool is uh, our our curiosity shop members oh yeah yeah and we should probably take a quick break to thank all of our fantastic curiosity shop members over on patreon and give a totally normal and not at all creepy welcome to our newest members whose names I will most likely butcher and I do so <laughs> with love. <laughs> With so, love, <laughs> with love, we've got Terry bosky um, Maddie Curtay, KerTe, KerTe, uh Melanie Earhart, and Megan Baldeschweiler. That I believe that's it. Baldeschweiler. Also, it's a lot of Ms. So Terry, Maddie, Melanie, Megan, hello and welcome. Yes, thanks.
1: Also, hi, Maddie. <laughs> <laughs>
0: We've talked about Maddie and her pocket kittens.
1: Oh, we have, indeed. And she just started a new quilting community, also. The Badass Quilters community, so. That's some quilters I can hang with. Yeah, she's great. Um, So, Patreon supporters, I just want you to know something from the bottom of my heart. You're the best, and we would totally go explore hidden old graveyards in the woods with you.
0: Absolutely.
1: Yes, even though that's a bad idea.
0: Yep, that's not, uh, not the best,
1: but we'd be with the best, huh? Exactly. It'd be fine. Ooh, do you hear the kitten squeaks? I my, uh, one of my kittens sounds like a squeaky library cart.
0: <laughs> that's appropriate and for today.
1: She just does it as she runs for no apparent reason. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's even better. Yeah. Oh, even she just did better. it again. <laughs> um, anyway. Yes, it is very appropriate for today.
0: It is, because today we are covering the history of Grimoire's. It's true. Uh, which are books. Uh, and books live on library carts, which sound like Squeaky Kitty. So it all fits together. Um, I'm going to take us down the history of grimoires. Uh, pretty much everything that I'm covering is from Owen Davies' book, Grimoires, A History of Magic Books. Uh, Owen is a professor of social history at the University of Hertfordshire. And has written extensively about the history of magic, witchcraft, and ghosts. So what is a grimoire?
1: Uh, so, What it's most, is a grimoire? Right? Hmm. So
0: it's commonly believed that the term grimoire originated from the old French word gramaire, which was initially used to refer to all books that were written in Latin, which is not all that exciting. But by the 18th century... I mean, that makes sense. Yeah, right? So, uh, by 18th century, though, the term had gained its now common usage in France and had begun to be used to refer purely to books of magic. Owen mm-hmm. presumed that this was because many of them continued to circulate in Latin manuscripts. Uh, the term grimoire later developed into a figure of speech amongst the French, indicating that something was hard to understand. In the 19th century, with the increasing interest in occultism amongst, like, British following the publication of uh, Francis Barrett's The Magus, which was 1801, I think, uh, the term entered the English language in reference books, uh, reference to books of magic specifically of European descent. Yeah. So, in its simplest definition, a grimoire is a textbook of magic, typically including instructions on how to create Magical objects like talismans and amulets, how to perform magical spells, charms, and divination, and how to summon or evoke supernatural entities such as angels, spirits, deities, and demons. Yeah, they, don't do
1: that. Yeah, just for the record.
0: Just, Mm-mm. nope. Nope. It's not fun.
1: Mm-mm.
0: Uh, so they contain a mix of spells, conjurations, natural secrets, and ancient wisdom. Their origins date back to the dawn of writing, and their subsequent history is entwined with that of religions of Judaism, Christianity, and Islam, um, as, lo- as well as the development of science, the cultural influence of print, and the social impact of European colonialism. Because Europeans oh. and their colonialism.
1: Exactly, and medication. Right? Yes, bunch of bastards.
0: Yeah. Uh, but it can also be like a family cookbook of sorts. The range. Mm-hmm. Of what exactly can be found in a grimoire is pretty magical in and of itself. Totally. So, again, despite be- the name being relatively new, grimoires have existed as far back as people could make markings. Mm-hmm. The earliest known written magical incantations come from ancient Mesopotamia, which is now modern Iraq, for those that are not aware. Uh, so they had been found to d- to ins- been inscribed on clay tablets at archaeological... Uh, archaeologists excavated from the city of Uruk and dated between the 5th and 4th centuries B.C. The ancient Egyptians also employed magical incantations which have been found inscribed on their amulets and other items which we kind of covered you know magical incantations can also be considered prayers which we covered in our mummy episode which you should check out Mm
1: -hmm. Um, or curses right
0: (laughs) yes The Egyptian magical system known as Heka was greatly altered and expanded after the Macedonians, led by Alexander the Great, invaded Egypt in 332 BC and fucked everything up because colonialism.
1: Uh, Yes, it does that.
0: Right? Ruins the party every time. Every freaking time. Yeah. So uh, the ancient Greek and Romans had their own belief that that books on magic were invented by the Persians. The 1st century A.D. writer Pliny the Elder stated that magic had been first discovered by the ancient philosopher Zorister around the year 647 B.C., but that it was only written down in the 5th century B.C. by the magician Austanes. Uh but his claims are not supported by modern historians, so take that with a grain of blessed or non-blessed salt, that's up to you. Uh, it's <laughs> the ancient with a jewish... grain of black salt yes uh the ancient jewish people were often viewed as being knowledgeable in magic as well which mm-hmm. according to legend they learned from moses yes the moses who had learned it from who the egyptians so two manuscripts likely. i'm da- shocked right shocked i say shock and awe two manuscripts likely dating to the fourth century both of which uh Purport to be the legendary eighth book of Moses. The first five being the initial books in the biblical Old Testament, present him as a polytheist to explain how to conjure gods and subdue demons. You can still read all of these today, and we have a wonderful link in our show notes to what is straight out of like Geo Cities.
1: <laughs> well, um, yeah. it, it is a <laughs> beautiful beautiful museum quality example of what websites looked like when we were young oh totally the only thing it's missing is
0: like a midi file that plays over and over again with some probably like right or or like walk like an egyptian Mm -hmm. (laughs) because they would be that bad
1: i absolutely (laughs) and i'm not even kidding did a presentation for humanities in you know, 10th grade 11th grade where i programmed a geo city site and it was a presentation on ancient nice. egypt and you better believe it played walk like an egyptian uh, see one of the yeah weird. which let, yeah, that song has several. It, it's a problematic fave. It
0: is, but all of that is just another reason I adore the shit out of you. So, <laughs> so conjure God, subdue demons. Do not get that flipped. Um. <laughs> so, meanwhile, <laughs> there's a uh, definite evidence of grimoires being used by certain, particularly Gnostic sects of early christianity yeah and the book of enoch found within the dead sea scrolls for instance there's information about astrology and angels uh Mm -hmm. israelite king solomon was a biblical figure associated with magic and sorcery in the ancient world
1: he has yes
0: he was he has a ton of crap you can find at that lovely site Mm -hmm. um so the first century he made a witch go
1: away right and then he needed the witch so the witch came back (laughs) um
0: if I'm remembering I think my uh,
1: years and years of Jesus' camp correctly. <laughs> Jesus' camp. Oh, yeah. Lord.
0: So the first century Romano-Jewish historian Josephus mentioned a book circulating under the name of Solomon that contained incantations for summoning demons. Don't do that. No.
1: And described
0: how a Jew called Elazar used it to cure cases of possession. That, that's okay. I'm going to try that on my oh. kids later on. Uh, <laughs> the testament of solomon is one of the oldest magical texts uh it's a greek manuscript attributed to solomon and likely written either in babylonia or egypt sometime in the first five century a- a.d over a thousand years after solomon's death again super rad geocities site has you hooked up with that so just considering
1: like us right now mm-hmm deciding that writing about something that happened a thousand years ago <laughs> right. would be in any way accurate
0: right but it would be if we were like white cis head old men like then they'd be oh. like oh they must know something
1: of but, course i mean yeah they're speaking with authority of course of course Anyway, uh, I just think that's really funny, <laughs> like, it when, is super funny. when you get to those early times, and you're like, it was written around the time that this person right. actually existed, but around the time is, like, a thousand years later. Or right, that's, a, that's a hell of a game yeah. of telephone, I'm just saying. Well, it is, and I mean, oral traditions were so much stronger now, or then, than right. they are now. There is more and, integrity. Like, now it's like, meh. Yeah, and it was a literal job of some people to remember all of these things like the living history of fill in the blank anyway (laughs) that's not a tangent we need to go on no but it was a good one
0: so when christianity became the dominant faith of the roman empire the early church frowned upon the propagation of books on magic connecting yeah connecting it with paganism and uh they started burning books of magic by the Don't mi- do that. Right? That's, wh- that's No, seriously. Like that. Why piss it off? I'm just saying that's not uh-huh. wise. So, but in medieval period, the production of grimoires continued in Christendom, as well as amongst Jews and the followers of the newly founded Islamic faith. In Christianized Europe, the Church divided books into magic into two kinds. So they were cool with natural magic because that came from God somehow. Those that dealt with demonic, demonic magic, not so much. Um, for instance, yeah, but they
1: were cool with natural magic right? only if it came from men. Yeah, so right? like
0: the yeah, so like the Anglo-Saxon leech books contained simple spells for medicinal purposes, and those were tolerated.
1: Wait, but what year did you um, say this
0: was? Ah, uh, this was the medieval period. So. Okay, you know, so we're not quite year. burning witches yet. Nope, nope. I'm getting to that. That's coming right up. Okay,
1: we're gonna come Well to that was, into that. That side. was my question:
0: whether or yeah. not this
1: was we're gonna, still right now. We're so starting with the man. books.
0: Books are getting torched, not so much the human beings. Um, so, <laughs> so yeah. the no-no books were anything any grimwares that dealt with necromancy, divination, and demonology. Despite this, though. Uh, Quoting our buddy Owen Davies There is ample evidence that the medieval Clergy were the main practitioners Of magic And therefore the owners, mm-hmm. transcribers And circulators of grimoires While Well several they were who grimo- could write Right Several grimoires are actually attributed to Popes
1: yes. it's, a weird,
0: it's a weird thing in my brain I can't connect those dots having, you know, I'm a recovering Catholic I'm just not seeing that But you never know Um so, as the early modern period commenced in the late 15th century, many changes began to shock Europe that would have an effect on the production of grimoires. Uh, Owen cites the most important of these uh, are the Protestant Reformation and subsequent Catholic Counter-Reformations, pretty much the <laughs> witch the witch hunts, and then the advent of printing. So, it's really important to know that many magical elements are simply orated down from generation to generation. Um, Yeah, much like your, you know, great, great, great grandma's recipe for mosquito salve or her blend of thieves oils. So not having it written saved many of them um, in some ways because they were orated down and they weren't strictly put on paper and then forgotten. Kind of like how I couldn't tell you half the phone numbers in my damn phone because once I put it in there, that shit saved. I don't
1: remember it. Um, I don't know my husband's phone number.
0: Right. My kids. I couldn't couldn't tell you. Uh, but it also meant that things were lost or inadvertently altered um, sometimes as it was verbally passed on in the next in line, which is to be expected. So Yeah, I mean, typos. Right? So the advent of printing in Europe meant that books could now be mass produced and distributed to ever growing population of actual literate human beings uh, right. and readers. So despite that, though, handwritten grimoires, again, remained highly valued as they were believed to contain inherent magical powers just By being produced. Um, Yeah. And I'll talk about that later. Yes. So with increasing availability, people lowered down the social scale and women began to actually have access to books on magic. And this was often incorporated into the popular folk magic that average people used. And in particular, that of cunning folk who are professionally involved in folk magic. So those are your professional folk magic passer honors and practitioners like your wise
1: women and right
0: so these works left europe and were actually imported to parts of latin america controlled by the spanish and portuguese empires and parts of north america controlled by the british and french empires because you know
1: colonialism colonialism everywhere it's just we've sprinkled it throughout the continent
0: yep you get colonialism and you get colonialism oh no so (laughs) right Uh So this is the period, the Inquisition, uh, that the Roman Catholic organization had organized the mass suppression of people and beliefs that they considered uh, heretical. So in many cases, grimoires were found in the heretics' possessions and destroyed. In 1599, the church published the Indexes of Prohibited Books, in which many grimoires were listed as forbidden, including several medieval ones, such as the Key of Solomon, which I mentioned before, and that were still popular they further pushed for the widespread fear of witchcraft, which was believed to be satanic in nature. And the subsequent hysteria known as the witch hunt caused the death of at least 40,000 people, most of which were women. Uh, yes. some, sometimes they were frowned with grimoires, particularly demon, demonological ones. Uh, and they were persecuted and dealt with as witches. But in most cases they were accused and had no access to any such books. So fast forward now to the well, 18th century. Most of them
1: probably weren't literate.
0: Right, exactly. They were probably, you know, cunning folk. Um, so fast forward to the 18th century, where we saw the rise of the Enlightenment, which was a movement devoted to science and rationalism, predominant amongst the. Can ruling we have classes. one of those? Right, we need that shit right back, now? like right now. So. Some governments did try to track, crack down on magicians and fortune tellers, though, particularly like in France, where police viewed them as social pests who took money from the gullible, awful and such, like, treasure. In doing and doing so... And sometimes, sure. Right. <laughs> uh, and in doing so, they confiscated many grimoires. Um, but then a new form of printing was developed in France, the Bibliothèque bleue. Many grimoires are published through this, circulate, uh, through this circulated amongst an ever-growing percentage of the populace. The Petit Albert symbolizes the huge cultural impact of this cheap print revolution of the early 18th century. Hmm. So the floodgates now of magical knowledge were like totally open during the so-called Enlightenment and the Petit Albert became a name to conjure with across France and its
1: overseas colonies. So, I'm uh, just imagining, like, everyone in France just, like, pulling a grimoire out of their bodice to have a look. Right. You know, just, right. to just check it out. <laughs> I don't so, know. Or uh, in their wigs. Right. Out there this is not hair. the right time period, but I don't <laughs> think. But still. Her hair is so
0: big because it holds all the secrets. <clears throat> so... Uh, as well as practical household tips, the petite albert actually includes spells to catch fish, charms for healing, and instructions on in how to make a hand of glory. What's a no. hand of glory? <laughs> you may ask.
1: So a hand I, I of know glory. I
0: <laughs> Right. It is the dried and pickled hand of a male person who has been hanged, often specified as being the left hand, or if the man was hung for murder, then that hand that did the deed would uh, would be the one that they would go after. The person had to still be hanging, but be deceased. And this pickled, dried loveliness would render one invisible. In the 18th and 19th century, uh, many grimoires were put to print and distributed far and wide. And while many families continued to pass down their own handwritten grimoires um some also you were started gonna to... say hands of glory <laughs> hands of glory <laughs>
1: here's our family hand of glory i'm here's sure that's a thing i'm it probably listeners is. if you have a family hand <laughs> of glory yes we, we want to see need it. to know yes we can keep your identity secret we just want to hear about it we do we do um absolutely So, uh,
0: the history, long, super involved, and I merely brushed over just a couple of the more important blips along the timeline, and uh, there is also a link in the show notes to a really cool map that maps out, like, the chronological and locations of, like, important grimoires, and I'm just gonna run down... Yeah, I thought it was pretty cool. Um, and then there's, there's another witchy stuff on there, too, that's pretty fun, um... So what does our our expert Owen Davies deem the most important grimoires of all time? I'm yes, w- Owen, please tell us. Tell us. Um, and I will tell you so that you can I can encourage a little rabbit hole wandering for you. So, all number one, the sixth and seventh books of Moses. Fuck the first five, apparently. And yep, that Moses that I mentioned earlier. <laughs> the, then we've got... Two, the Clavicule of Solomon, and that one's considered, like, the granddaddy of grimoires. Again, biblical dude. Then we've got our hand of glory friend, the Petit Albert. Um, there'd actually be a Grand Albert that follows. Apparently that one's maybe teaches how to make two hands of glory. I'm not sure. Um, number four is the Book of Saint Cyprin. Groomers purporting to have been written by a legendary Saint Cyprin, and there was also like a real Saint Cyprin as well, uh, but they became popular in Scandinavia during the late 18th century, hmm. while in Spain and Portugal, print editions of the Libro de San Cipriano included a gazetteer, gazetteer, gazetteer. to treasure sites and the magical means to obtain their hidden riches. During the 20th century, editions began to appear in South America, and copies can actually now be purchased from the streets in Mexico City to herbalist stalls in, like, the High Andes. Uh, number five is Dragon Rouge, like Petit, right? I'm like, that's one I want. Uh, the like the Petit Albert, the Red Dragon was another product of the French cheap grimoire boom of the 18th century. Oh. <laughs> French Cheap Grimoire Boom. (laughs) That was my nickname in high school. Uh, (laughs) Although first published in the following century, it was basically a version of the Grand Grimoire, an earlier magic book which was infamous for including an invocation of the devil and his lieutenants. Again, don't do that. The Dragon Rouge circulated far more widely, though, and is well known today in former and current French colonies in the Caribbean.
1: I thought the red dragon was also a drug. Probably. Is that dragon. another name it's for opium? Oh, oh maybe. no, heroin. Yeah. I don't huh.
0: We're clearly not good at drugs. No, no, we're no. not. We should probably work <laughs> on that. Um, no. So we got rolling it six, the book of onerous or norius. Hmm. Uh, books attributed to onerous of Thebes. Were second only to those of Solomon in notoriety in the medieval period, and in keeping with that strong theme in Grimoire history, there's no evidence that an actual arch magician named Onorus lived in antiquity, as manuscripts ascribed descri- him to state. So through prayers and invocations, books of Onorus gave instructions how to receive visions of God, hell, and purgatory, and knowledge of all science.
1: Why Super- would you want visions of hell and purgatory? Right? Uh, I'm I, just I saying. I can I'm live not, without
0: it. Right? Exactly. Like, that doesn't, on a scale of 1 to 10, that's like an extra form of dumbass. Like, no. Again, yeah. no. Then we've got number seven, the fourth book of occult philosophy. So Cornelius Agrippa was one of the m- most influential occult philosophers of the 16th century. He wrote three books on the occult sciences, but had nothing to do with the fourth book, which appeared shortly after his death. This book of spirit conjuration blackened the name of Agrippa at the time when the witch trials were being stoked across Europe. Oh. Then we have our buddy, the Magus, published in 1801. I was right. Woohoo. Uh, and written by British occultist and disaster prone balloonist, Francis Barrett. I just love that that is a common, common thing associated with this poor Francis. And I got to. I got to look that up later. Um, I feel like
1: any balloonist may have been disaster prone. Right. Like, yeah. So the Magus was a restatement of the 17th
0: century occult science and borrowed heavily from an English edition of the fourth book of occult philosophy, the one I just mentioned. It was a flop at its time, but its influence was subsequently considerable on the occult revival of late 19th century and contemporary magical traditions. So in the early 20th century, a plagiarized version uh, produced by an American occult entrepreneur and entitled The Great Book of Magical Art, Hindu Magic, and East Indian uh, Occultism became much sought after in the U.S. and the Caribbean. Number nine is one of my favorites, and that's the Necronomicon, mm. a and I must stress this importantly, a figment of the ingenious imagination. Again, yes. not real. Nope. Of the influential early twentieth-century writer of horror and fantasy, H.P. Lovecraft. Love this him. Was, mm-hmm. Right. A little problematic, <laughs> but still love him. This, I mean. Yeah. Yeah. So, this mysterious book of secret wisdom was penned in the 8th century, allegedly again, uh, by a mad Yemeni poet. Despite being in literary fiction, several real Necronomicons have been published over the decades. And today, it has as much right, according to Owen Davis, to be considered a grimoire as the other entries in his top ten. I don't
1: disagree. Right.
0: And then finally, uh, the number ten is... The Book of Shadows. So it is the founding text of modern Wicca, a pagan mm-hmm. religion founded in the 1940s by a retired civil servant, folklorist, Freemason, and occultist, Gerald Gardner. He yes. claimed to have received a copy of this ancient, I'm using air quotes, you can't see it, but I'm using them, magical yep. text from a secret coven of witches, one of the last of a line of worshippers of an ancient fertility religion. Which he and his followers believed... I mean, I believed...
1: think that coven actually was real. It's really? just unclear whether or not he was uh, inducted into it. Yeah, that's the part that I find I think skeptical. It's been a while since I've looked into Gardner.
0: <laughs> so he and his followers believe that they had survived centuries of persecution by Christian authorities. Through its mention in popular occult television dramas as Charmed, it has achieved considerable cultural recognition. Now, I feel it important to note that if you go through if you're like a baby witch or new to anything um pagan wiccan anything that you would create a grimoire for the book of shadows and grimoires are tragically being interchangeably used even in in pop culture references but there are distinct differences like book of shadows is an actual thing um a specific book a very specific book from what i've seen there's a lot of newer witches that use it almost for lack of a better way of, term- of putting it like a bullet journal you know you it's, yeah like synonymous with right so it's um but it's slightly different like i've seen them oh a- it's so it's so interesting to me the vast differences there's a couple of schools of thought amongst the plethora of sites and people that i looked up um The common distinction they make between them is a grimoire is allegedly just recipes and tips and spells that are handed down from generation to generation, that there's nothing personal in it. But I, I challenge that a very spell itself is personal. So, Book of Shadows, they define yeah. as being like your personal diary and journalism, like philosophy and, and how you create your things. And it's supposed to be very powerful because it's tied to you. Where I think they're kind of, I, I think that they're not quite uh, identifying them properly.
1: For no, and I'll cover that.
0: Um. So, um, to sum up, Grimoire and their contents, super magical. I really found that I just really want a collection of like family handed down ones. I do have now a, a, a vast so collection expensive. of <clears throat> the digital download ones. And again, yeah. don't fuck with the demons. Hey, just saying, don't do it. Seriously, leave them the fuck alone. They'll find yeah. you if they want you. Do not Ooh. mistake that. And if they want you, run. Right. Now, you're going to need a lot more than salt. So, (laughs) (laughs) that is my little condensed history of grimoires. Well,
1: thank you. That was great. Thank you. I tried. Yeah. Grimoires is such a hard thing to tackle because there's just so, like, all of human existence is sort of tied into magic in its various types and how it was recorded
0: right like even I I argue that even like the the hand my mom has this this handwritten cookbook of recipes that she has like written from other places but then altered within it and like Mm -hmm. even that in my eyes can be considered a family grimoire like just Uh it's this the tales of how it's just so amazing. Like embers are just so fascinating to me, and I, I love, I love the whole possibility of what can be found in one. And I just yeah. want to read all of the family handwritten ones and see what, you know, what what they had in there, what they deemed important, what you know. And it's it's going to change for each family, but just imagine and also the, each
1: generation, right? The hidden stories because they can be. Um, multi-generational right 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 yeah uh so that sort of leads into what i'm going to talk about which is how to make a grimoire so i'm a practicing witch and have been for a very 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 long time we're talking uh toddler me digging up rock and mineral samples and (laughs) making patterns out of them so um i am not wiccan so witchcraft is not a religion of mine um it is a thing that i am Mm -hmm. not i guess a lot of people right now sort of get the get Wiccans as a religion mm-hmm. mixed up with witchcraft as a practice, and they can be combined. Mm-hmm. They just don't have to be. So but there's also it,
0: like a whole surgence of like Christian witches out there.
1: Like it's it's not oh yeah specifically. Well, and I mean there are mystical elements in many many religions. Um, like if you are into the Kabbalah if yes. you happen to be uh, Jewish or, I mean, there's there's Christian mysticism in lots of it.
0: Well, just the belief in somebody you've never seen and no one else has ever seen is, that's yeah. pretty magical.
1: Yeah, I, I often have to take a moment and realign myself with the idea that even though we are largely in a society that adheres to probably one of the big three religions, so Christianity, Judaism, and Islam, mm-hmm. the, the all of those are supernatural yeah. religions. Like, you want to talk about ghosts? There's ghosts in there. Mm-hmm. You want to talk about miracles and magical occurrences? That happens. You want to talk about speaking to something and asking for it to manifest? That's it. That enough. happens. Yep. Yeah. So those things also don't have to be separate. You can also be any of those things and also practice magic. So when it comes to making a grimoire, probably the first thing that you should know is that grimoires are extremely personal and that there is no right or wrong way to make one. I would suggest that you don't make one with bad intentions behind it because that's a bad idea. But no demons. No. Um, But keep in mind that what you are creating is a literal, physical, magical object. And that the only thing that really matters is that that magical object works for you in the way that you want to use it. And so there are a lot of answers for what you might find in something labeled a grimoire so some people use it to record spells or to journal or to keep recipes or all of those things Mm -hmm. for me personally my grimoire is um, what i like to think of as a beautiful but useful reference book and for me it's orderly But it's filled with color and life. So I have, like, photos of my personal rock and mineral samples. And what the magical connections are with those. And, like, I'll write whatever makes sense to write about any given thing. I also might do that with my personal... Magical tools that I use Or my altar I also include spells That I've written and If applicable who they were written For because I often will write incantations For someone Because sometimes Giving people words And having them feel that there's Another person or power Behind it is Extremely valuable I also use mine as a reminder of the basics of different ceremonies, like ways to open and close a circle or surrounding yourself with protection from energies there I've got a whole section of basically often used pieces of information, like what each moon phase represents or symbolisms of time of day, like, what the sunrise means or could symbolize, or what morning does, and what it can do to boost certain magical intents. The elements and their symbols and the symbology that each element holds. Important days to my personal practice, like Samhain, are also mm-hmm involved, Um, information on the seasons, how to clear energies, uh, a list of my specific set of magical and altar tools, and how they're used. Like, just the... Because sometimes you need to go back and remind yourself of the basics. And the whole point of this book that you are creating for you is... To have those that personal information to fall back on because nobody else will use any of this information in exactly the same way that you will,
0: right? And sometimes and, you change yeah. an altar setup and then you're like, Oh, mm-hmm. I want to change it back. How did I have it that one time? But you have a reference yeah. to go back and look at
1: exactly. And so, like, I personally have um, all of my altar tools are copper because copper speaks to me it it works with me magically and so I have like that reasoning written down and I have those things dated so I know the actual temporal context in which I made certain decisions or when I was interested in something um I also have a chart of what each candle color represents. Yes. I've seen some really neat spreads on that. Yeah. Uh, they're really fun. If I'll you've got some watercolors and you're yes. uh, feeling it again to to get creative, I'll have that's to a good way to do it.
0: Find a link and put it in the show notes. I found somebody who they created they were an artist and they created an art grimoire. So the same way that you would document somebody would document like their altar or their witchy jewels they document their paints and the canvases and just it's really amazing how they they made the connection and personalized it all to them and i yeah i love it
1: yeah and and that's exactly it i i think you just made the perfect point it's that your grimoire is only needs to be useful to you. Yes. And it only needs to be meaningful to you. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be anything specific. So. And no one can tell you that yours is wrong.
0: No. Unless and you are so, using it to summon demons.
1: Yes, don't do that. <laughs> so I really want to stress the demon thing. <laughs> it's it's really important. Yeah. Um, so I also use mine to record, like, Memories of group spells and support received from my coven, and reminders of things that are dangerous and why—demons—and yes. <clears throat> <laughs> uh, like tarot card pulls that seemed yes. especially pertinent to something that I was going through, or dreams that I've had that felt like they have meaning, um, in. One of my favorite strange grimoire-related events, Mm -hmm. I once quite recently woke up to find a post-it note stuck in the center of my desk in my workspace in my handwriting Mm -hmm. (laughs) that read, Grimoire is poisonous to cats? i clearly wrote it i don't remember (laughs) writing it um i actually have it in my grimoire because like what are you gonna do with that right yeah i mean i don't know put (laughs) a
0: list of things that are witchy related that could be potentially harmful for kitets
1: I imagine that that's where my subconscious was going. I think it was related to minerals.
0: Was this Um, before or
1: after she started chewing on the grimoire? Oh, my gosh. Long before. This This is when it was just Biggie Cat. Oh, okay. But I just walked out past my workspace, and I keep a pretty tidy workspace, and it was sitting in the middle of my workspace, and it wasn't there when I went to bed. It's like, well... Tilly I noted. I'm glad I wrote that down. <laughs> um, all right, so now that you know a sort of laundry list of the things that you could put in your own grimoire, um, you might want to know how to make one. Yes. So... And I'm very, very sorry to say this for people who are not like me and who do not spread cheap for fun. (laughs) But the first thing you have to do is decide how you're going to organize it. Yes. Because it's only useful if it's useful. Right. Like, if you can't find anything in it, if you are looking for something that you know that you wrote down, but you spend an hour and a half flipping through pages, that's not actually a useful piece of material. And it's not doing you any favors magically. So um, I personally have different notebooks that band together as a whole for each subject and so i can swap out basically if if you have any knowledge of book publishing signatures um so groups of paper perfect and um that works well for me because i do not like the idea of sectioning off a book and then running out of room
0: yeah yeah absolutely absolutely
1: yeah, but that isn't what everybody needs. Um, so, once you figure out how you want to organize it, and you might want to do a trial run, like with a notebook. There's mm-hmm. no, there's no reason that you can't experiment. Mm-hmm. You aren't when you're making a grimoire. You're making it for yourself, and it's okay if you like. N- not everything that you try is immediately sacred and something that you have to keep forever. Right. You, it's not written in blood. Can, well, it can be. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> um, we'll get there. Uh, anyway, so um, when you're thinking about how you're going to organize it, you probably also want to think about what size. Like how are you going to use it? Are you going to bring it with you? Do you want something, like, coffee table size that you can do beautiful, like, huge, well-laid-out pages? Um, Do you want to do design work? Does it need to be portable? Um, Do you want it to be digital? Do you want Mm -hmm. it to be searchable? Um, So those are all things that you can think about. And... There isn't a right answer here, and you should also, when you're thinking about that, consider what kind of paper you want to use. So, if you're going to be, say, using watercolor paints or heavy felt markers or fountain pens,
0: or even you're going to want thicker ways. paper, yeah,
1: and you're going to want paper that's not going to feather. Yep, and so there are. And I will let. Individuals look this information up as they want, but paper comes in different weights. Mm -hmm. And so, the heavier the weight, the thicker the paper. And it also comes in different colors and different brightnesses. So, you should keep that in mind. Do you Mm -hmm. want it ruled? Do you want it dotted? Do you want grid? Like... What is going to make the most sense to you? Um, Maybe you want to have it in a binder so you can move everything around or take things out and take things with you. Maybe you want a portable grimoire that has things that you reference often in it and places that you can take notes that you can then transfer to your permanent larger grimoire. Like There are lots of... There are lots of ways that you can make this work for you. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm not big on journaling. I don't like it. It's, but I'm big on bullet-pointed information, (laughs) and so, (laughs) like, those things don't have to be very different. I don't need to write long-winded, flowery things, unless I'm writing an incantation, and then I will, but... Mm -hmm. So there are lots of ways to use it and you should consider how you are psychologically going to deal with, say, running out of space or um, I mean, some people run out of space in one section and set up a second book that is just like the first and continue in that section, but then just stay with the first and fill up the rest of the sections before moving on. It's It's entirely up to you. There are lots of ways to to do that. Um, But you really do want to think about, like, if you're going to... I have special pens that Mm -hmm. I use. Mine is color-coded. Different kinds of information is written in different colors. You also want to, and I cannot stress this enough, holy shit, index that thing. (laughs) Yes. Because... If you don't index that thing, you won't be able to find anything. It's I mean unless you' you're doing something digitally or you have something physically movable, you're not going to magically know everything you want to write down in alphabetical order. Yeah no. so So you index need to figure that. out
0: how you best process information.
1: Yeah, and I don't care how you index it. Index it in a way that's useful to you, in a way that makes sense to how you use your information. Um, let's see. Uh, oh, I already said to make sure you date your entries so you can see the context of what you were thinking and where you were. And so once you've got all of that sorted out, you've got the item that you are going to make your grimoire, that makes, that's organized in the method that makes most sense to you, then the next thing to do is to dedicate it and make it your go-to thing. This is you starting the process of turning it into a magical object. And so, dedications can be Well, mine, personally, was an incantation that I wrote because I am an author. That's my job. And Mm -hmm. so I write things. And I love writing incantations, so I did that. There are also many, many, many blessings that exist that other people have written. And feel free to use those and change them to make them fit what you need. Change words. Do whatever you need to do. But also take note of the source, where you got it. um, And make it clear what you've changed. So if you want to go back and look or your grandchildren want to Mm -hmm. know what you were up to, they can. And also it's just respect right. you want to State provide deserves. credit where it's due yeah. so now you've got your grimoire you know how you're organizing it you have it blessed it is ready to go so what are you gonna put in there well i gave you a list of a bunch of the things that are in mine earlier but there are lots of ways that you might not think of To use a grimoire, Um, if you happen to be a uh, witch that fucks with plants, (laughs) then pressed flowers or samples of plants that you use or maybe plants that you grew and all of the information about them like medicinal uses whether or not they're poisonous Um, where you got the seeds from if you planted from seeds yeah like um any magical relation maybe your personal relation to the plant definitely its scientific name descriptions of it like there are lots of there are lots of ways that that a grimoire is both like the mother of all reference books because it's the mother of all of the reference that you need specifically Mm -hmm. but it's also kind of a scrapbook yeah you can paste things into it or paste envelopes and put stuff in the envelopes in it um add photographs add drawings add things that inspire you add Bells from other magical texts. And just, like, if it feels right to you, you're doing it right. That's all you really, really need to think about it. You're creating a huge, well, or not huge, magical reference scrapbook. And it should give you joy to look through it. You should feel connected and powerful when you flip through what you've done. So now that you know some ideas for how you can personalize it and make it yours and make it useful for you, or you're ready to start connecting with and working with your grimoire. So do keep in mind, and I think it's really important to keep in mind, that a grimoire is a magical tool. Yes. Like you have made a magical item. And so you should be nice to it. Mm-hmm. And treat it with respect and treat it with care. But also know that you're going to spill things on it. Mm-hmm. And you're going to mess up. And you're going to scribble things out. You're going to change things. Pages are going to get torn. It's going to be... If it's a useful book, it's going to be used. Yes. And that where isn't negative. Mm, that's that is... kind of out of love. Yeah, that's adding energy. Yeah. And so... I sort of think of the feeling that you should get from your grimoire as kind of like the feeling, like the warm, fuzzy feeling that I get like if I touch my great-grandmother's favorite sewing machine. Yeah. Um, Like, I can feel the love and the time that went into working there, even if I can't necessarily pinpoint the feeling. Mm -hmm. yes this is uh this is jumping straight into the more woo section of of this nonsense (laughs) Uh, so because your grimoire is a thing that absorbs energy and also gives you energy make sure that you cleanse its energy and yours Mm -hmm. and your altar space and your tools once in a while Uh, you'll You'll know when. Yeah. It'll it'll be clear. And make sure that you set it up in the way that will make it useful to you. Use color coding. Use tabs. Create sections. And change it up mm-hmm. if the first thing you tried isn't working for you. Because that's fine. If you force yourself into something that isn't working for you, it's not going to be the powerful tool that you want it to be. Yep. Exactly. And yeah so start again that's fine um as your grimoire grows spend some time just flipping through it you might find something that you weren't expecting that turns out to be exactly what you needed at any given moment like that's sort of how once you've got a connection with your grimoire that's kind of how it works Mm -hmm. like it can tell you sometimes what it is that you need and so, the next time you get the urge to doom scroll on Twitter, which I know <laughs> I do, maybe instead flip through your grimo- grimoire. Maybe that's a better use of your time. That's so, a good idea. Yeah. So, that those are the very basics Um and also my personal uses of a grimoire. They are called different things in different traditions. And they are used in different ways in different traditions. Some people think, or think of them as textbooks. Mm. Some people think of them as journals. Some people think of them as reference material. It can be any and all of those things. And there are a lot of good tools to help you get started. Um, I have to give a specific shout out to a book that I happened to come out very recently. And that my kitten has been chewing on all week. And <laughs> it's he, called... Hmm? And you got it right when I was like, let's talk remarks Exactly. And it's <laughs> called The Green... Re- the Green Witch's Grimoire, Your Complete Guide to Creating Your Own Book of Natural Magic. And it's by Erin Murphy Hiscock. And she's written, like, 2037 books about wow. magic. N- not so really. just one or two, right? Just... Um, like, ten? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> a lot. <laughs> um, and I have quite a few of them, and I like them. They're very solid foundations for getting you started in the right direction without telling you exactly how you ought to be doing a thing
0: I like that because there's there's every I don't want to say fandom every area of life right now seems to have gatekeepers and I like I like the lack of gatekeeping in that
1: then yeah like I specifically do not want a uh, to gatekeep mm-hmm. the making of this. There I may get angry emails for how I have described the process because there are a lot of people who have really strong feelings about it. But I'm here to tell you that you can sort out your own feelings. All right. You might decide you have strong feelings in a certain way. But don't let anyone tell you what they are. Exactly. And it's cool to, like, learn from teachers Mm -hmm. and books and look at many different sources. But when it comes down to it, you need to be able to use the book, and it's for you. It's not for anyone else's eyes. You may elect to pass it down, but you aren't obligated to let anyone see it. It's yours. Yeah. And that is uh, a brief introduction to making a grimoire. That was perfect. Yay! Yay! There it, I'm excited. Oh, i recently... such a topic of many, many rabbit holes.
0: <laughs> it is. It is. But it's, yeah, it's a good one. It's just a. And it makes me feel good. I like yeah. reference. I like books. I
1: like creating things. Like, it's just.
0: Oh, yeah. It, it just, I, have I have a whole reference
1: shelf. Yeah. And separate from that, I have a whole magical reference shelf. See?
0: I like that.
1: I like because that. Because I like, oh, I love a reference book. There's yes. nothing that makes me happier than organized information. <laughs>
0: so yay
1: reference indeed so oh didn't you just recently acquire a book that's
0: going to be your grimoire i did i did um i i recently went and got when we were talking about this i was like i want to start one um like a new one i had one and then it's in storage and it just kind of oh but i my was spouse.
1: Like, I... Yay. Hi, <laughs> we're recording Sorry.
0: so um i thought it would be fun to just to start a new one um mm-hmm. based on just now um so i got one that i have this problem and i'm sure that i am not the only one that when i get Tell really me. <laughs> really pretty blank books mm-hmm. i'm terrified of writing in them like I have some really super, super wonderful journals and I'm, just, <laughs> I'm terrified of putting that first thing down. So I found something that I wanted to, I found the right, it was the right size and has the right kind of cover. It's not hard cover, but it's soft cover, but it's coated and soft. Mm-hmm. Um, and it has a little ribbon in it so I can move it or know where it's at. And yep. it's like And you two, can glue additional ribbons. Right. Color code them like exactly mm -hmm. and it's like 240 pages which is good and like it just it fit all these things i'm like and it's not gonna be something that i'm scared to write in or to to fuck up for lack of a better way of putting it
1: exactly yeah
0: and it was yeah so i I was like yeah i'm gonna make a new grimoire
1: oh you know i just remembered that the kind of um grimoire that i have has a name like the the setup The kind of what? <laughs> um, <laughs> I just remembered that the, um, sorry, I'm laughing because the it froze and you were making a yeah. really great face. Um, oh, of course. The, the setup of my grimoire has a very specific name, um, and it's called a Midori notebook or a Midori oh, journal. Okay. M-I-D-O-R-I, which is basically a boxed set. If you okay. want to picture that. It's, all um, Jap-
0: it's also Japanese for green. Is it now? I believe
1: so. Well, it is a Japanese um, stationery. Maybe
0: it's Midori, but yeah. I love it, Japanese This is things. Midori,
1: M-I-D-O-R-I. Um, and it is, a, it is definitely a Japanese stationery. Maker. They
0: make amazing things, and Japanese. Yep. I love their sense of tidiness. Like, like bento
1: boxes make me happy. Oh, like just I have a collection of <laughs> bento boxes. I have been slowly getting rid of them as I have worked from home for longer and longer, mm-hmm. and it has been so sad. I love a container, right? Oh, a modular container. Yeah. Yes. So. Anyway, my grimoire's modular. (laughs) Nice! (laughs) Mm -hmm.
0: That's awesome.
1: I'm so excited for yours. I am too. I am too. And don't be terrified of it. It's gonna be fine.
0: It will be. It absolutely will be.
1: Do a test run.
0: Yep. And I'm totally going at it with the Bob Ross School of Happy Trees thought. You fuck up, make that a happy
1: tree. (laughs) I appreciate that fully. Have I ever shown you the picture of the Halloween that Jeremy and I dressed up as the liberal media? And he was Bob Ross and I was Ira Glass.
0: No, you've not.
1: Well, I will have to show it to you at some point. He made a really fantastic Bob Ross. That's amazing. And then used the wig to be Richard Simmons a year or two later. (laughs) oh
0: yes wonderful
1: anyway so i i think that about does it for grimoires um i haven't decided whether or not i'm gonna share any photos of mine that Um, makes sense that's a personal thing i may or may not but if you happen to really want to see photos do let me know i could probably be convinced nice
0: uh so th- i guess that brings us to da,
1: the da, weekly da. weekly worst way to die <laughs> weekly worst way to die and patrons remember that there, every week well every other week i suppose um is a poll on our patreon page where you can vote or add your own. Yes, yes, yes. Yes. So, so what's your <laughs> worst? <laughs> my, my worst way to die this week, I think, has got to be anthropodermic bibliopigy. Ooh. Um, which, if those of you uh, who have lost touch with your Latin roots... Um, means having well me personally having my skin used to bind a book. Gene style. Oh god. <laughs> I mean actually they're much prettier than that. And yeah. there are I wanna say the Beinecke has quite a ha, might have a collection of anthropodermic bibliopagy. Um like they're real things. Yes. yes and yes. they're beautiful but creepy. Yes. Creepy as fuck. Yeah. Like, why would you? Never mind. Don't yeah, want to know. I suppose.
0: So, my weekly worst way to die is very me. And it would be that I would be in the middle of a spell and, like, fucking sneeze and accidentally take my own self out. Like, just. <laughs> or screw up the words. Not have had enough coffee. Just. Yep. Just. <laughs>
1: Well, I mean (laughs) that is unlikely because intent is one of the things that matters most (laughs) in Right but I gotta imagine
0: that with my luck that sneeze would like there'd be a demon that was like, Well that's my name. She just called me. She must want to say hi.
1: Oh, my gosh.
0: And no, no, I don't. I just, I sneeze. That's all I did. No, (laughs) thank you. But it would be very me to, like, you know, just
1: somehow. Yeah, summoning demon by way of sneeze, that would be a pretty shitty way to die. It would be a really shitty way, Um, and that would be something that would also be very me. Somewhat related to that, I have a beautiful set of runes because um, my... Germanic heritage is Mm -hmm. a part of my personal witchcraft that I am digging into a bit more because my ancestral witchcraft is important to me and I Mm -hmm. think that that is what I should be drawing on Um, and I am deeply afraid to pour out my runes because I i'm gonna do something that i don't mean to do and i mean i'm not because it requires right. intent but, but 2020 i have yes <laughs> that is exactly it like alternate universe me is gonna have intent at the same time the veil is gonna be thin and boom yeah i am in antarctica
0: nice i try to find you if that counts for anything
1: I appreciate that. (laughs) Yeah. (sighs) (laughs) Oh,
0: boy. On that note, do Mm. you want to be spooky, internet friends? (laughs) Do you want us to find you if you accidentally zorf yourself to, like, another realm? You can find us on Bones and Bobbins on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and at
1: bonesandbobbins.com. It's true, and, you know, psychically reach out to us if you, uh, <laughs> if you're in peril, <laughs> we'll know. Um, and don't forget to rate and review this podcast because it pleases the internet gremlins or perhaps the internet demigods. Well, maybe yes. we'll go with that today. Um, or the old internet gods, since we're yes. talking about Lovecraft earlier. Yes. Um, And that's how we show up in recommendations so that other morbid souls can find us, which is great. And we need all the
0: morbid souls we can get. Yeah, yeah, that, that would be helpful. And on that note, let us leave you with some advice that you should never forget. Lock your doors and don't run with scissors. Yay. Each episode of the Bones and Bobbins podcast is written and researched by Haley Pearson-Cox and Natalie Hoyce. Our music was composed by Loyalty Freak Music. You can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Bones and Bobbins. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, follow us on Spotify, or check us out wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts so you won't miss a minute of our strange and creepy content.